How many believe that the time change is a sign of spring, but the weather hasn't caught on yet? <laughs> like, like I was thinking, I'm going to the lake. Thank you, man of God. I'm going to the lake today. I'm going to break in spring, you know, keep myself up so I don't get a little jet lag type. You know, my schedule will get off if I don't sleep right, so I got to stay active today so I don't go to bed at 6 o'clock or 7, you know. And I'm like, well, maybe I'll go to the lake. Maybe I'll do this. And I'm looking outside, and I'm like, I might go snowboarding. <laughs> Would you all please uh, turn your Bibles with me to John 14 as the lights come on. Welcome to church this morning. You guys know how to set alarms. I'm proud of you. Uh, there used to be a time in our church where first service would be like empty on the spring forward dates, but I'm proud of this church. Amen. Good job. That's awesome. Then I would see all the, you know, the folks that never really come to second service all be packed in there, but I'm excited today. Are you guys ready for the Word of God? Amen. I have about a dozen scriptures I would like to share with you today on peace. As we finish part three of this section in John, if you're visiting with us, thank you for coming. We're going through the book of John verse by verse, and we've been in this section for about three weeks. So open up to John chapter 14, verse 15, and then what I would like to do is just read it all together now, because you've heard me read, stop, read, stop, and if you've missed any of those weeks, go back and uh, check them out online, but I'd like to read it all together, and then make today's message about the peace of God. Someone say the peace of God. Amen. The peace of God. This is so important. When I started hearing the Lord give me scriptures for this, I've got so many to share. By God's grace, I want to go through it. And I also want it to be practical. So theological, practical. Everybody say theological. Say that's deep. And then practical, that's everyday living. Amen. Come on, let's go. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or comforter to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Everybody say, peace. Peace. Thank you. I leave with you my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away, and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. 
But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Isn't that awesome? You've heard all of that passage in preaching except for the last portion, so let me just give it to you uh, starting there in verse 28 and onward, and then we'll hit on the peace section just because this part does give us a little bit of extra information that the devil belongs to the sovereignty of God. Does everybody see that there? That Satan belongs to the sovereign plan of God. He is not a devil loose to do whatever he wants to do. He has boundaries, and he can only do that which God allows him to do. So in one sense, he is God's devil. He belongs to God. Now, people have asked, if that is true, then why does God allow him to do these things? Wouldn't God then be the source of evil if God has control over him like on a leash? And this goes back now to the same things that we've talked about before, and I don't want to go too deep, though we don't know where we'll end up, where we'll end up in this service, because sometimes I say that we end up going really deep. But let me just try in a surface level, because I have like 12 scriptures of peace to go over, to help you understand the sovereignty of God. God is responsible for choice, not the choices we make. That right there will answer all of your deep questions, and the more you ponder on it, the more you'll see that it is sufficient. God is responsible, takes ownership, does not shirk the responsibility of somebody else. He owns it as his own sovereignty. He gives us choice. That is true. And in God's sovereignty giving us choice, he allows devils to be devils. That is where someone can have a problem if they want to, but remember then the regress, remember then the contradictions they begin to face if they have a problem with God doing something in his own will out of his own decision. Because if they say, I have a problem with that, then we say, why, right? You have to be a person of a free will to have a problem with God and his will. Does everybody get that? But if God does not exist because that is their alternative, the alternative isn't to deny evil. How many know evil exists and is here? Their alternative is to deny whether or not a God exists. How many know if their argument for God not existing is God making a devil or allowing there to be an angel that turns into a devil, how many know they have now cut the branch out from underneath them that they were sitting on? Because now if there is no God because of evil, you don't know what evil is. So you could think of like there being two buttons and you can only pick one. One is there is objective right and wrong because there is a God. So you can pick that. Or the other one is there is no God and there is no objective right or wrong. Do you see? You can only pick one of those two buttons. If you're going to hit the button that there is no God, in that button is there's no objective right or wrong. So why are you mad anyway? Inanimate objects don't get mad. Animals don't get mad. Computers don't get mad. So the idea that they're mad about it doesn't change that it's true. And then the fact that they're mad about it shows them that they're a human being made in the will of God to make a choice, to like God or not like God. Now, everybody can get this. To like God, to love God, to believe in God is a matter of choice. And that's why most of us here, and most of the world is a uh, theist in some sense, and then even still today the largest religion is Christian, is because most of us, even though they haven't thought deeply about it, most of us do not have problems with God being in charge. Can I hear an amen to that? Like we just don't think that's a problem. But for somebody, that can be a problem. That just bothers them. But for me, it doesn't bother me. God's God. I'm not. 
There we go. I don't have a problem with that. Now in God's plan, if he allows an angel to rebel and then to impact me, and I can choose whether or not to rebel, and then gives me an eternal choice for heaven or hell, all of that I don't have a problem with. Honestly, and if you ever run into people that have a problem with that, and they also want to deny God, because every theistic system, any belief in God has that same issue. How many understand that? By the way, I mean, I mean, the moment you say, I have a belief in God, you now have to explain evil, and then, you know, now you're going to go down that same exact road the Christians go down. The reason why we have the best explanation, not only because it's right, is because Jesus solves the problem. Oh, there's a problem of evil. Oh, we got a problem solver named Jesus. Does everybody get that as well? Amen? Because I want to track with you here that Jesus is the solver of the problem of evil. No other religion has a Jesus. So we acknowledge the problem of evil. As a matter of fact, we tell where it comes from. We start right in the beginning of our book. Here's how it got here. We take that literally, and we believe in that. So now looking at this, when, when Jesus is speaking here, and he's saying, I have told you now before it happens, Jesus knows what's going to happen. But he wants them to know the reason why it's going to happen. Why is this going to happen? It's going to happen so that the world may learn that Jesus loves the Father and does exactly what the Father commands. See, the prince of this world, he's going to come. He's going to come with his authority. He's going to manipulate the religious leaders. He's going to come and manipulate the governmental leaders. He's going to get people to turn their back on me. He's going to do all that he possibly can do. He can do that because he's a prince. He has authority. Remember, Adam and Eve had authority. He got that authority when they fell for his temptation. He was the trickster. He made a swap that day. They, They got the sin that he had, and he got the authority that they had. How many know that's a bad deal? But that's what happened, and that's why he's doing what he's doing. And Jesus is showing us this is the plan. And the reason why we're supposed to see this as part of the plan is because Adam and Eve didn't do exactly what the Father did. And now Jesus in the flesh, not as God, but as man, as a God-man, still being fully God, but in the nature of a man, he's going to say, not my will, but your will be done. If he doesn't have the nature of a man, whose will is he competing with? Does everybody see that as well? Come on, can I hear an amen? Oh, I, you know, if there's another way, let it not be done. He knew that. He came there. But what is he experiencing? The God-man. Man in his emotions is feeling the God, the, the man, the human side of Jesus. And we don't want to say he's divided in parts. He's fully God and fully man. But just understand, the, the sense of being a human that says, I don't want to die, is what he's expressing. How many know you could even have a good reason to die, but you still don't want to feel that? Like, I'm, you know, I'll lay down my life for my country. Okay, but how many know you don't want to die right now? I'll lay down my life for my kids, but I don't want to die right now. I mean, that's all he's expressing. He's not expressing doubt in God's plan. He's not expressing that he doesn't trust the Lord. Even when he says, Lama, Lama, uh, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachthani, when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's experiencing that as man, but it's a psalm that gives hope that God redeems. If you read the rest of that psalm, that's a quoting of the psalm. It's not that he's saying, I'm going to be separated from God. God's not going to get my back. What he is saying is he's sensing what God's wrath and his punishment feels like, but because he's innocent, he knows he's going to be vindicated. When you read the rest of that psalm, it's a psalm of vindication. Amen? Amen. So going back to this, when Jesus is talking about the sovereign plan of God, that which God is in control of, that which he knows from the beginning and the, from the, he knows the, uh, the end from the beginning. As the Bible said, he's a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before there was a problem, he was our answer. What he's saying here is all of this is going to happen in front of you. It's going to happen on the world stage so that they can see and understand who I am. And how many now know about Jesus because of the death, burial, and resurrection? 
you now know about Jesus. And, and the Bible even says that if Satan knew that this was how the plan was going to work out, he probably wouldn't even have gone along with it. But because God tricked the devil, this is where you see God's wisdom catching him in his folly. The folly that he was trying to do for Jesus became a trap to him. So the trap he set was a trap that destroyed him. The book of Proverbs talks about this. So Jesus outwitted Satan. How many can say amen to that? Amen. Because while he's being crucified, what is he doing? He's taking all that authority back. All that Satan had by way of Adam and Eve losing, God gets back through Jesus Christ. Remember, God didn't have to worry about who's going to heaven for his own sake. He's already in heaven. He already has all that he needs. But what does he do that for? For our sake. So Satan thinking he's crucifying the Son of God, because remember the demons and Satan always knew who he was by his identity. They understood that he wasn't there by, na by nature in a sense, like his natural abode was heaven, but he had taken on another nature. So they're kind of like going along with this, trying to figure it out. Because remember, Satan's not all-knowing. Demons are not all-knowing. They're talking and actually having interaction, trying to piece it together. So while Satan is there, what is God doing? God is, dis uh, while Satan's putting all this on Jesus as a curse, God is disarming Satan. So in other words, like if you would look at it like a Pokemon thing, as Satan is throwing every bit of energy that he has at Jesus, or I should say uh, Black Panther here, Jesus is absorbing all of that energy so he can expel it right back out and defeat the enemy. Amen. You heard about Black Panther in church today. Come on. So there's nothing, there's nothing in this that we should be disturbed by the idea that God sovereignly is in control. Now, Christians have had disagreements over the years to what role does our free will play? Calvinists, non-Calvinists, or Calvinists, Arminians, etc. And so we are a non-Calvinistic church. We do not feel that our will is only manipulated or, or as they, they would say, drawn by the Holy Spirit. We believe we make choices that come from our own volition, that God helps and powers, but it's still our own volition. We personally believe that here, and I could go into a whole other discussion, and uh, there's debates among Christians, but even whether you're Calvinist or Marminian, you know, you believe in a fatalistic understanding or what they would call compatibilism of the will, or if you believe in free will as we describe it here, which means indetermination. God knows, but he doesn't determine, okay? You can sit back and go, I trust Jesus. How many trust Jesus? Jesus is making a plan and keeping it. The plan that he is making is the plan that the Father gave him. And then now just go to verse 28. The Father is greater than I. How many know we've already addressed that about five times already in this series and a few times already? Greater in what way? If Jesus is in the flesh, does he have the same authority that the Father has in heaven? He does, but is he accessing it? Is he using it? No, while he's in the flesh, he still retains all that which pertains to his God nature. But what does Philippians chapter 2 say? He doesn't use it to his own advantage. So how is the Father greater? Well, the Father's not in flesh, about ready to get crucified by his own creation. Jesus is about ready to get crucified, humiliated by his own creation. Now, if my wife was to say, Joe is greater than I, you would all know she doesn't mean in nature. 
But what would she be talking about? Authority, position, role, maybe lifting weights. And so the same thing is true here. When Jesus is saying the Father is greater than I, he's not contradicting the statements he just said in the previous verses that we read where he said the Father and I are one. Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How do we know he's not going to contradict himself? So it can't be in the terms of nature. It has to be in terms of authority. And the Bible is very clear that God is the God of all flesh. That's why Jesus will also say he has a God. And then people go, well, if Jesus is God, how can he have a God? In the same way that I'm a boss, but I also have a boss. Come on, are some of you bosses and then you have a boss? See, you can have roles where you have a certain thing and then someone has a certain thing over you. Jesus is not the Father, but he shares the same nature as the Father. Just like I'm not my wife, my wife is not me, but we share the same nature as humans. Then in our personhood, we have different responsibilities. One can be greater than the other according to that responsibility. Amen? And so Jesus is not saying he's less than nature when the first verse of the book of John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's not contradicting himself a few chapters later, amen? There's no contradiction here. The greater is an authority. And when it comes to the devil doing exactly what the father knew he would do, the devil is responsible for his own choices because those are the choices the devil is making. But since God knows the outcome, he's making his consequences. So he gives us choice, yes. But remember this, God also gives us consequences. And so Satan, on judgment day, will be there because of his own choices, the ones he made in heaven and from that point forward. If someone goes to hell, they will be in hell not because of God's sovereign plan, not because God said, this is how I'm doing it and you have no choice, you're a robot. No, just because God knows the future. Like people say, well, if you knew Adam and Eve were going to sin, then it's his fault. No, just because God knows the future does not mean he makes people's decisions to come true. Knowing how an event turns out, like let's just in our limited understanding, remember trying to compare ourselves to a timeless infinite being, but in our limited understanding, me knowing what happened in the 1985 Super Bowl didn't make that happen. Me, and now if I went back in time, like Marty McFly, and I wanted to take a bet on the 1985 Super Bowl, wouldn't make it happen. Are you guys listening? So God is timeless. He knows all times. He knows all answers. He knows all situations. But that doesn't make him responsible. Now, there is a group of Christians that say ultimately he is responsible, and whether you like it or not, you're going to hell based on his choice. And they say that's going to be figured out in the end, and that's a mystery of God. But I'm not here to, I don't preach that, okay? I actually believe that anyone goes to hell is 100% their responsibility, and anyone who goes to heaven is 100% their choice. Like I said, there's other debates, and you guys can research those, but I want to talk today about what happened in these previous verses, because that section there we've covered and will cover in other areas, but this is something that we haven't spent a lot of time on. That's verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I want us to think about the peace of God here for a moment. What would you trade for the peace of God? Especially Christians here. How many of you experienced how many of you have experienced the real peace of God? Okay. Is there anything you would trade for that peace that you have right now? Nothing. I would not trade anything for the peace of God that I have right now. There's there's nothing I would trade. The peace of God that I have in my soul is the kind of peace 
that if my worst nightmares were to happen, I know that I would still be all right and that God would be with me. There are people, brothers and sisters, that have way more money than us, but they don't have this peace. They have a lot more popularity. They have a lot more fame. They have a lot more of everything you can think of, but they don't have this. And so when you think about it, there's nothing I would trade, and there's nothing you should trade for the peace of God. And yet, so many of us as Christians live without it. This, to me, is like how we're Christians on Sunday, but atheists on Monday. Because we live just like them in the world, and we get stressed out like them. We, we allow our joy to be taken away just like them, and we live in our marriages and families just like them, as if there is no real difference between us and a non-Christian. And that's just not true. The Christian life comes with benefits and advantage that other lifestyles and other belief systems do not have. The peace of God, I think, is one of them, and it's one of the greatest ones. As a matter of fact, if you were to ask me, how do I experience God's love, I would say love is experienced to me in joy. That's how I experience love. So there's, there's ways that I can explain what love looks like. How do I experience God's love? I would say I experience God's love in the sense of joy. But then if someone were to say, how do you experience God's forgiveness? How do you experience God? I would say peace. That's what I would say. I don't know how you would describe it, but that's how I would describe it. And then if somebody said, why is it so important for you to have a sense that someone forgives you that is God in that sense, or they say a fairy tale, you know, why would that impact you so much? Because what they would think we're trying to say is that we have a guilty conscience and someone just way out there in heaven says, I forgive you, and then we feel better about ourselves. I would say they're missing the entire point. Here's how I would describe what God's forgiveness and what that feels like and why that feels like peace, how that looks like. What it looks like is my heart was at turmoil and I was separated from that God, but peace is now the bridge that brings us together. Am I speaking to anybody else's heart here? Because that's how I would describe it. You see, even before I understood the doctrines of, of sin and salvation and all of that, I grew up very, um, very aware of my lack of peace as a child. Some of you might have had an inner sense of peace, but I did not have an inner sense of peace. I dealt very early on with a sense of discomfort. I was not comfortable around others. I was not comfortable in my own skin. I fought with others. I rebelled against my parents. I don't know if anybody can relate to this little therapy lesson here. And uh, I love you, a little therapy session. And I didn't have peace even as a child at an early age. My parents could, you know, point to times where, you know, I was a good child, I was a nice child, but they talk about the dominant attitude that I had after a certain age was not peaceful. Now, this, this is not everybody's childhood. I'm just saying I was uniquely aware at a certain point I didn't have peace. Now, one of my favorite theologians, he was the exact opposite of me, William Lane Craig, a very peaceful child, very loving child, very calm, reserved child. But later on, I believe it was junior high or early part of high school, he began to be angst by his existence. Why am I here? What am I doing here? 
You know, he's being taught in science. You know, he's, he's just come from the goo. And he's just like, this doesn't make sense. And so something in his heart became at turmoil. And so that, that was his kind of journey of looking inward and seeing that there's a distress there. Others of you, you can relate to maybe something, you know, in between all of that. Maybe you didn't have, you know, all of this existential angst. Or maybe you weren't a rebellious child. But, but maybe you just had things in life that began to prick at your conscience that began to make you feel uncomfortable. And maybe you were rebellious or maybe you were an overachiever trying to hide it. And in time, what happened was is that you were used to the storm more than anything else and you don't remember what it was like to be at peace even as a child. Because generally, ch children are supposed to be at peace, right? Like, like they're supposed to have a contentment about them. It is abnormal, the thing that I went through. Uh, th there is a, a viper in diapers in every child, don't get me wrong. But, but the idea of the extremity that I was in, th that was abnormal. But many of you, you can relate to this. There was, uh, this is aside from those who have experienced real, real traumatic abuse or different situations as a child, but I'm speaking, I, I think, to a certain group here. You grew up, you became older, maybe third, fourth, fifth grade, and you couldn't remember what it was like to love yourself. You couldn't remember what it was like to really find joy in, in things anymore. Uh, you, you forgot what it felt like, you know, to be a child in a sense, to find that peace. And then as you got older, friends, some friends liked you, some friends didn't like you, parents, you know, you got along with, didn't get along with. And you came to realize that life is more turbulent than it is peaceful. How many can relate to that? Just like it wasn't overnight in the sense of everything went wrong or you weren't a bad child like me, but just many of you that I talk to now we see as the experience of life, there's just points in life where you begin to realize that I'm not going to really have a lot of friends. I'm not really going to have a lot of money. I'm not really going to, you know. Now, what people oftentimes do is they start their dreams, you know, for these goals that they want to achieve. So I want to go and achieve this and achieve that. Um, you know, we're mostly a young adult church here. Not many of you are at the age of retirement. But uh, if I was speaking to, you know, a, a retirement village or a Bible study like where my dad lives, I would say, and finish the story out, and I would say, and how many of you achieved those goals and you still found that there wasn't peace? You know, uh, one of the saddest things that happened just recently was like one of the Miss Americas. You know, she committed suicide. And it's like, oh, here's a goal. You achieved it. You commit suicide, you know. And it's like so many others are just like that. They, they, they have this goal. They reach it. They commit suicide. There's, there's uh, you know, so many people we can talk about. And in the world, they want to try to say, well, this is just mental illness or this is just kind of an extreme uh, thing. But now they're realizing in our young people, our college age, that suicidal ideation is higher than it's ever been. Anxiety is higher than it's ever been. How many already know these things? We've talked about it before when I said, don't let your hearts be troubled. But what we're, what we're hiding as a culture is the fact that we all believe something is wrong. Our compasses are off. Now, when a Christian talks to us and says something like, Jesus gives you peace, most of them think of something superficial. They think of something they're just going to feel. And that's why, honestly, when we talk about our Christian faith, we don't want it to be in the same realm as of what they feel when they watch Cinderella or something else that gives them goosebumps. We don't want them to think Christianity is reduced down to something so trivial as you just getting a goosebump. Oh, my, I'm getting goosebumps, or I just felt better. No, what Jesus is talking about here is the depths of our soul Coming to rest, shalom, to be at peace, irene in the Greek, to be without conflict and to be at rest. Think about that, my, my brothers and sisters, and how deep that really goes. What Jesus is saying is, I'm giving it to you, 
and I'm not giving it the way the world does. I'm giving it to you so that it cannot be taken away. Think about that, because everything the world gives and that we get in the world can be taken away. As I talked about that young friend that I had when we were hanging out, him and his girlfriend broke up, and uh, he was out that day doing something, and then he uh, came to us with the bracelet that she had made for him, you know, and it was broken, and he was holding it basically in tears as we're getting high. The dude's holding this thing, having an emotional moment, and he's saying, why is it everything I love in life breaks? You know, why does everything break? Why doesn't anything last? You know, he's having this moment where he's just realizing, man, I was in love with this girl. This girl broke my heart. She gave me this. I was holding on to this as a memory. Now this thing is broke. Like, everything breaks, you know? I'm, I'm not going to be here forever. It doesn't feel right. I'm watching death. Maybe he's lost grandparents. Maybe he's seen somebody he loved die. And he's like, everything goes. Everything breaks. Everything ends. And so when we're talking about having a peace, it's not like the world gives. In other words, it's not like what my wife gives. It's not like what my children give, even though that, those that I love the most. It's not like what my parents give because my parents are in the same cursed uh, situation that I am in. My parents are going to die and leave me. They're going to suffer death. Does everyone get that? So my parents cannot give me a peace beyond even themselves. They lack that ability. Now, of course, those thinking ahead with Christianity, Christian parents can invest into their children the things of God and that peace be eternal. But my parents as comforters, as uh, those who love me and comfort me, cannot be with me forever. Nor can they, while they're even still alive, be with me in all situations. How many believe that? And that's a reality. No matter how much we love, no matter how much we experience peace, no matter how many goals we achieve, no matter how many things we try to do to have the world stop rocking us back and forth, it doesn't work. You know, you pass your class, you feel good, but then there's another class. You pass all your classes, then you start your job. And then you have a coworker you don't like, you know? And then you save up your money, you start your business, and you think it's different, and then you have customers you have to deal with. Hello? And then you think, well, I'm going to do something like crypto. I'm going to make a lot of money. And then now you have to deal with all the problems that come with that money and being alone. Now you're by yourself. You're a weird nerd. Okay? And I can name some of those crypto nerds. And they're just nerds. And they have no social skills. And they have nobody that loves them. They don't love anybody in that close sense, right? Because they don't know, they don't know social skills. And so it doesn't matter what way we try to stop the storm. It doesn't work. But what if I told you that the whole reason of our angst, of our lack of peace, was actually a magnet to God? Like that is what C.S. Lewis said when it came to joy, that if there wasn't a fullness of joy, why do we all want it? If you're hungry, what does that show? You have an appetite. And if you want love, joy, and peace, what does that show? You have a solical appetite. Why do we yearn for it? Why don't we just find contentment in the dog-eat-dog world, you know, that we live in? Why don't we just, just, just say that's all we are is just mere animals and then just get along with it? Because we're not made that way. And you talk to people in the world and they try to explain it, but they can't. They can't explain why we have longings for these things. No more they can explain why we have morals if the goo through the zoo is, is right. 
But the obvious thing is, just like when you look at creation, they'll say, yeah, it looks like there's a designer, but it's on accident. Oh, it looks like you have a, a desire for things, but that's just chemicals. You know, they'll, they'll just reduce it down to literal nonsense. But what's the, what's the rational thing? What's actually the scientific thing to do? You're supposed to look at that and go, I am a soul that is desiring peace because that's what God made me for. That's what he made me for. And all of the world's religions, they try to get people into this mindset and get people doing yoga, which can bring a peace, or get people doing certain prayers like in Islam or being a vegan in Hinduism and so forth. But it's still the world. There's still a shallowness there. And that's why when you talk to the people of those different religions and they become Christians, it's always the same thing. I couldn't pray enough as a Muslim to have peace. I had no assurance of my salvation. You talk to the Hindu. I couldn't uh, veget, you know, be a vegetarian enough. I couldn't, I couldn't do yoga enough. I was still incomplete. There wasn't enough there. And by the way, there are great testimonies coming out of the New Age now because there's been a, a revival of New Age, and it's grown more now in the last 10, 15 years than it, than it ever has. But at the same time, there's a great revival happening in that community. Amen? And we need to pray for them to come out because many of them were raised Christian. They went to this lifestyle. They're doing these things. And now they're realizing after, what, 5, 10 years being in it that it's destructive. It has a facade of peace. There was one man that was actually a guru. He was a teacher. He would lead in meditation, and he was telling his testimony that I would always, he said, I would always appear as happy, joyful, you know, because when you watch these shows, they're happy, you know, and they're, they're, they're trying to get you to buy their books and these different things. He said, but when I got around Christians, I saw a different sense of joy. It wasn't a conversational, outward, external joy. It was an inner peace where they knew something about God and their eternal soul was at rest. It's like they had an inside track to something. They knew something that I didn't know. You know, you can find like a temporary sense of happiness, like, oh, I'm helping others. You know, I'm living a good life. The sky is blue. You know, these wonderful things. You know, I'm going to go meditate and stretch. But it's a whole nother thing to know on the inside on the inside, you are at peace. You are loved. You are forgiven. Because all of us carry around these guilty consciences. All of us carry around these hurts and these pains. And you can confess and do manifestations and you can have gurus, you know, go back into your past and all this. But there's nothing like what a Christian receives when they know they are forgiven, their hurts are healed, and a new heart has been breathed into them by the power of the Holy Spirit. That was the introduction. You ready for the message now? Look at your neighbor and say, let's do it. Amen. Go to Numbers chapter 6, verse 26. Brothers, please try to keep up. I know it's going to be hard, but I want to give you now at least 12 verses here on the peace of God, just to let it just start sinking into your heart. Numbers chapter 6, verse 26. Notice how God speaks to us, how he reminds us of peace. This is a prayer that we're supposed to say. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. The Jewish people spoke this over their children and still do to this day. And just back up a little bit, please, so they can see it in its context. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. Get, a, get an understanding of it. Even if you were in a jail cell today, suffering for Christ as they do around the world. May his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you what? Give you peace. Go with me now to Numbers chapter 25 verse 12. 
God makes a covenant of peace with the priest who did the right thing. There was wicked people at that time. And these priests stood up and they did the right thing. And Numbers chapter 25 verse 12 says, Therefore tell him, just talking about the head of this clan here, I will make a covenant of peace with him. There is a covenant of peace that God makes with his righteous. They will be at peace. I don't wish harm on any of you here, but brothers and sisters, do not be afraid of the trials and tests that you will face. God has made a covenant with you. God has made an agreement with you on the blood of Jesus that brings peace. I am in a covenant of peace. Anytime we feel that our souls get, get, get shaken and rattled, we need to speak that out. I am in a covenant of peace, and God keeps his covenants. Go with me now to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 4, verse 8. I remember when I first got saved, I was detoxing from drugs, and I began to experience what I now know to be anxiety. I didn't know it then. They didn't talk about it much then. And also night terrors and probably some demons bumping and rattling in the night. And I would get afraid, and I would have to get up and pray, and I would have to calm my spirit down. And then the Lord showed me this scripture, and I began to experience victory because it says, David speaking here, in peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. And so one of those times when I was in Bible college, I, uh, right before I got up and started rebuking the devil, going through the same old, same old, I felt the Lord speak to me. You know what he said? Close your eyes and go back to sleep. You don't even have to rebuke him. I got your back. I'm telling you, I had a peace come over me that I realized at that moment it wasn't dependent on how loud I would shout at the devil, all of my confessions that I had ready to go to do some exercise to get my mind back at peace so I could fall back asleep, get rid of the terrors, get rid of the anxiety or the demons, all three of those things, they felt very real. I'm telling you, I can remember it like it was yesterday. The Lord said, close your eyes, go back to sleep, I got you. And then from that point on, not saying anyone who's in a season of doing what I did is wrong. I'm just saying from that point on, I understood I didn't need to do that religious function to let the devil know that I'm in authority. I could close my eyes back right and go to sleep and have that authority. In Jesus' name, amen. And I speak that to anybody who may not even be having that extreme kind of uh, sleep stuff going on in the middle of their night. You know, but you could, just, you could just go to bed tonight knowing God is with you. One of the funny jokes is that I, I put on Facebook is that, you know, witches were cursing me and I didn't even know it until I went back and looked over at our YouTube and I saw all these curses there in their language. And I said, I want you all to think about this. They thought they were doing something for the last three months and I've been sleeping better than I've ever slept. I didn't even know they were putting curses on me. That's why when you see, you know, um, Juan put it up for the Chicago for Jesus, they were waving that sage around. It doesn't mean anything. You're just making me smell good when I walk out of here. You know, we're, 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 not, we're not superstitious. We don't think witches hold a power over us. Now, can they do certain things to certain people? Yes. And should we be ready to do spiritual warfare? Yes. And maybe at times it will be amplified like that. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, your superstition can steal your peace. Rest in the supernatural peace of God. Amen? Amen. Go to Psalm chapter 29, verse 11. The Bible talks about him giving us a peace that comes with a strength. Think about having all the strength you need to be at peace. That's why we freak out is because we feel like we need to control the situation. And then when we can't, we get more anxious. Trust me, I've been there and I still get tempted to be like this. But the Lord gives his people strength. Isn't that what it says? So God given me all the strength that I need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if I can't get it done right now, then it's not meant to be done. I'm okay with the situation because I'm still what? Blessed with peace. 
So like, man, I want to change this thing about my city. Okay, God has given me the strength. Let's go out and change it. Okay, well, today doesn't look like it's changed so much. Well, I'm still at peace. Sinners going to hell will not take away my peace. I remember going out and preaching the gospel, and I would get so anxious for them to accept Christ that sometimes it would disturb my peace. Then the Lord spoke this to me, and it is a little bit sassy, but I believe it will set some of you free. And I say it occasionally, and I don't do it to be sassy. It's really a word from the Lord because sometimes in those places of debate or you know, where you're really intense with that person and you love them and you want to see them come to Christ, it may be good just to stop and say this because the Lord gave it to me to say, and it may encourage you. I'll just look at him and say, Well, I want you to hear me just real quick in the middle of this argument. In a few moments, I'm going to go home to the best life that I've ever imagined. And I'm going to be able to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. You will go to hell. And that is your choice. I just want you to know that. I'm still going to have a blessed life. It sounds sassy. It sounds as if you don't love them. But sometimes you just need to speak that. I'm not a salesman. You getting saved doesn't up my commission this month. Uh, As a matter of fact, my reward is not based on your acceptance. It's based on my obedience to preach to you. And I, just, and I just want to tell you that. And I've said the same thing to my children because I've watched, and I know it, it's another thing to go through it, trust me, but I've watched people go through it the way I'm going to share with you right now. Pastor Troy and his son, uh, Jared, pray for him to come home and serve the Lord. I, we have a big heart for him, so I've watched Troy go through it and others. But I've also said to my kids, kids, listen, listen, I'm still going to heaven with or without you. I'm going to lay down every night at peace. If you want to sell crack, you want, I'm going to go to bed every night. I will not, listen, be like my mom stressing out over X, Y, and Z situation. If my children, and God forbid, my, my, uh, you know, my mom lost her daughter, so it's, it's real, okay, drinking and driving. But I'm just saying, at some point, my mom, and she got this revelation as well. She hasn't always uh, you know, allowed that to get to her. At some point, you just have to be at peace and say, the Lord's given me strength to do all that I can do. And at the end of the day, what strength could not change, even it's... You know, God's strength, because remember, God could change the whole world right now, but he reserves the strength to people's free will. Everybody tracking with me? So whatever God's strength doesn't allow me to do today, I am still blessed with peace. Amen? My house is a house of peace. You can listen to the stories of this young lady. You know, only she comes over and spends the night with my daughter. My house is a house of peace. My house is a place of safety. My backyard is a taste of the kingdom of God. Amen. We have all the toys out there. We have everything going on in that backyard. The kids come to that backyard. My life is a taste of heaven. You get around me, you're going to see things in order. You're going to see that I'm at peace. If I make a mistake, I'm going to repent, but you're going to see a taste of heaven. Brothers and sisters, that's what you need to bring everywhere you go. Bring the peace of God. Show them that God makes us strong to change the world, and what doesn't get changed today, it doesn't change our peace. Come on, somebody. Amen. Turn with me to Psalm 8510. I have to encourage myself today because as I get older, I realize, as I've teased before, I become more uh, tempted to not have peace. The grumpy old man, this, comes, this saying or this thing is real in our culture. The older you get, the less testosterone you get, the more right that you think you are. I was, <laughs> I was driving in my parents' retirement village and got flicked off by a dude in a golf cart. The wife had to hold him back because he wanted to fight me. I'm telling the truth. I was driving in a retirement community where they drive in their golf carts because they have golf courses and the whole thing. I mean, just think of a Disney World for adults, right? This is what this pools everywhere, you know, uh, with the pickle board. Uh, what do they call that thing where they hit the ball with the big thing? No, not, it's not. It's ping pong, but it's outside. Outside. No, not tennis. Pickle ball. Did I say it right the first time? 
pickleboard, pickleball. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, they play pickleball. There we go. Ping pong for adults that looks like tennis. All of you guys were right in some way, okay? Put up a picture of old people playing pickleball just so you can see what I'm talking about. Shuffleboard, horseshoes, golf course, everything you could possibly imagine inside of their gym and their rec center, everything. Somebody said crochet. Everything you could, every hobby you can think of. They, they drive around in golf carts with little, like, pimped-out wheels. They want to make it, you remember talking about John. They want to make it look like they're 1950 cars and stuff, okay? I'm driving in this neighborhood, and I pass a golf cart, God forbid. I'm thinking you pass a golf cart. You don't drive behind the golf cart, but I guess the way the speed limit is set, as fast as that golf cart is going is as fast as we're all supposed to go. But I'm, there they go. This is exactly what they're doing. This is exactly what they're doing, you know what I'm saying? So just leave this up for a minute. So click on this guy right here because this is the guy right here who cussed me out, flicked me off. There's, there he is. There's Stan. So Stan, Stan is driving in his golf cart, and I'm thinking to myself, I can pass you. That's normal, right? Like you're not supposed to be in the road with a golf cart and me not be able to pass you. So I pass him, and the dude starts cussing me out, flicking me. I mean, he goes from zero to ten. You can ask my dad how ornery these people are. And it's real. You, you go on in life, and you think, sweet grandma, sweet whale, sweet grandma. It's not always like that. You can have a sassy grandma. You can have a cuss you out kind of grandpa. You can have just, just you, go, you go through life, you get older, you lose all the juice that made you physically what you were, and now you walk around with a bad attitude. But I don't want that. I want the peace of God. I want to be a chill old dude. Amen? All right, go back to that scripture, please. Psalm 85, verse 10. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. You see, I want to be right about things. Maybe I was wrong, right? Maybe I was wrong. I shouldn't have passed that dude, okay? I didn't, I didn't get the rule, but I don't want to lose my peace over it. You see, you can be right and be wrong in how you handle the situation. I want to be right and at peace. Can I hear an amen from some marriage folks here? Come on. I want to be right and I want to be at peace. I don't want being right to cost me my peace, if being right makes me act wrong, then I just want to humble myself and let someone else handle it. It's not, not that I want to be wrong. It's not the opposite. Now, I want to be wrong. No, it's just if I can't make a wrong situation right without losing my peace, then I need to let someone else handle it because we need to have both. As I get older, and, and I'm just being honest with you, I'm more touchy. I'm more, and, it's, and some of you are like, Pastor, you're just backslidden. Repent. Pray more. No, you don't understand. It's like saying to a woman on the time of the month, stop being so touchy. It's something in a man's body that changes at middle age. It's just something that changes. And as men get older, they know what I'm talking about. We get touchy. That's why you see the uncles fight at the party, because they touchy. They got older. Are you listening? You get older. Come on. And you get touchy. And you don't want anybody to talk to you like, I'm a grown man. I've paid my dudes. There's a reason why that stereotype is there. I'm not trying to make defense for it. I, I'm not saying, I, you know, if deliverance would work, I would get it delivered. Cast the spirit of low of testosterone out of me. Give me what Joe Rogan has if it can come other than with a pill and a shot, you know. Them boys, all these guys my age, they have this, they're now taking shots, man. They're now taking these, these enhancing pills and all this, okay. Maybe somebody here sells them, okay. Well, listen, before you turn to Herbalife, here's what I'm saying. 
Here's what I'm saying. It's like you just don't make an excuse. I don't care if it's the time of the month. I don't care if you're getting older. I don't care if you're a boss and all of your employees have lost their mind. I don't care how wrong it is. I mean, I could point to, I mean, one of the examples just came to my mind. When Martin Luther King Jr. was teaching those young men to be activists during that time, you should see the way they dealt with those people that were thinking they were less than. They spoke to them in wisdom and integrity and in strength, and they were able to fuse together righteousness and peace. They didn't have to be wild like we see on the streets to make their point. I see this same thing in standing up for justice in our time right now. We want justice, yes, but we want it at, uh, we want it with righteousness, not at the cost of righteousness, and we want it with peace, not at the cost of peace. Amen? Let's go now to um, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. I think about our brothers and sisters who suffer for Jesus even now, how they won't back down, how they will speak the truth, how they will have a voice, but they always have it in peace. Proverbs 14, verse 30, a heart at peace gives life to the body and envy rots the bones. You see, for me, I want to guard myself from middle-age crises. I know this week when they saw me on the uh, snowboard hill, they probably thought I was having a you know, midlife crisis. I was hanging out with these kids. I'm literally like old enough to be their grandpa. You know, I'm like the oldest dude out there. And like one of these kids, he just comes up to me. He's like, ah, so uh, were you a wa- uh, snowboarder when you were a kid like us? And I'm like, no, I just started. <laughs> Like, it's just, he couldn't wrap his mind around why I would be there. Like, you, like you, you're trying to live out your old dreams of uh, being a kid with us. And I'm like, no, dude, I'm trying to have a good time right now. I'm learning this trick for the first time with you. I was talking to this one kid that I was learning the trick with, and he was like, oh, yeah, but my older brother, he's 17. He's amazing. He's amazing. I'm like, your older brother's 17. How old are you, 13, 14? I've been hanging out with this guy all day. Hanging out with this guy all day. He's teaching. I'm so serious. He's teaching me. I'm like, hey, you want to go over here and do this? No, man, I'm not I'm doing it. I'm like hanging out with him, learning the trick with him, trying not to catch a charge because I am a holy pastor, amen. And I'm just hanging out with these young dudes, not young ladies, not with perverted thoughts. But I'm just like, man, your older brother is 17, and he's really awesome. Okay, well, you know, you must be 13 or 14. But here's the thing. You have to have peace. I got to have it in my body, and I'm not going to sacrifice it. I get peace by learning new things. I get peace by spending time with my friends and family. I get peace by sharing the gospel when I'm being obedient to God. What brings peace to your body? What is that which God is using? It's okay to have things that are outside of literally reading the Bible and praying, but do all things through the scripture and with prayer. Because what does it do? It gives life to the body. It gives life to the body. We should be active until the day we die, and what should be fueling our body is being at peace, not being envious, not being jealous, not even being an ageist. That's some of the things that I'm bringing up. I'm going to live my life, no matter what age, giving it all for Jesus. Amen? Join with me. Isaiah 9, 6. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the one who brings peace to this world, and he brings a government of peace. Notice that in verse 6, he's the prince of peace. And then go down to verse 7, in the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. It's the prince of peace that brings peace. Amen? Look at Luke 2.14 when he comes to earth. What did the angels announce? That there will be peace on where? Earth and goodwill towards men. Why hasn't Christianity seen this come about in our generation? Because we've sacrificed the prince of peace for whatever we want right now. We're in one sense guilty of removing peace from this land. This land used to have so much more peace than it, than it does right now. 
I was looking at an African-American talk about the black culture and how they used to be at peace, and it was showing that even during the worst of times that they went to church more, they were married more, that their family was more obedient to the things of God. And I remember talking even to a woman a few weeks ago when she said she was afraid to walk on the west side. She was in her 60s, and I said, when did you notice starting to change? She said in the 70s and 80s when the drugs came in, when this came in. And I know there's, you know, different, uh, different discussions on where they came from. It was the FBI dropping off drugs in the hood and different things. But my brothers and sisters, how do we bring peace to the west side? Peace has to come to the hearts of the families there again. The mothers and the fathers have to stay married and to pray and to have to have a family to be rooted in, uh, to root into that community so that they can grow the fruit of peace. What about on Belmont and Clark when I go there and I see the, discrepancy, uh, the disgruntledness of all these people? They're not at peace. They have to put their roots back again in the things of God. And Belmont and Clark can be known for a place of peace again. What about our college campuses and our universities? These used to be known as a place of peace, not a place of, of activism and drug use and sex, sexual transmitted diseases. I mean, that's what people think about now when they think of college, man. I'm going to go there and party. I'm going to go there and have sex. It used to be a place where people went to become gentle men and women. I'm a gentleman. I'm a gentlewoman. I'm a person of integrity. Why? Because they have peace. And what has happened to our peace on the earth? It's been exchanged for sin. Go with me now to Acts chapter 10, verse 36. But how many know the gospel brings peace? You see, that's why we go to Belmont and Clark. That's why we go to the college universities. That's why we go to the families door to door. We're bringing them peace. Ephesians 6.15 says it as well, so if you could have that scripture open. But it's the same thing. In Acts chapter 10, verse 36, Acts 10, verse 36 will be our first one. It says, when they went out to preach, they preached in Jesus' name the gospel of peace. Acts 10.36, please. Notice what it says in Acts 10.36. The gospel of peace is what we're preaching. We're not preaching what the world says. We're preaching what God says. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of what? Of peace through who? Jesus Christ, who is Lord of how many? All. So you, you think that has something to do with why we don't have peace today? Come on. Why don't we have peace in our schools? Because we don't have Jesus. That's it. It's that simple. We do not have Jesus. Why is it most marriages are at least 40, close to 50 now percent in the divorce? We don't have Jesus in our marriages. We don't put Jesus into our lives. We don't put Jesus into our everyday living. And brothers or sisters, listen, if you are struggling today in your marriage, it's because you're not accepting the gospel of peace over your marriage. If you're, if you're struggling today, teenagers, to find peace and to find your purpose, it's because you're not putting the gospel into your, mar uh, to your childhood. You're not putting the gospel into your life. The gospel comes with peace. Some of you say that you have it, but your life shows otherwise. You need to show me that peace that has been testified for centuries among Christians. Another example is of a woman lesbian. She was on the Beckett Cook Show. She was one of the activists that was during that time in the 80s trying to fight for the, the right for homosexuals and lesbians to marry. And, you know, they always got together in home groups and different things and promoted their agenda. But she said, it wasn't until a pastor invited me over to his house that I sat at his table that I felt the peace of true community. See, think about that, brothers and sisters. I want to hear more testimonies about that in our church, that people walk into our home Bible studies, that people come to our services and say, there is actually a peace here. 
For the sinner, they're not going to like our message. I totally get it. They're going to be offended, and it's going to set their world in division and not peace. And that's why there's other scriptures where Jesus says, don't think I came to bring peace to the world in that way. I've, caused, I've come to bring division. So it's not a contradiction. It's a both and. The ones that he's bringing the deuces to, the ones that he's bringing peace to, are those that submit to what he's saying. Those that acknowledge, I need the gospel. I need this message. They will sense peace like they have never known before. How many have, have experienced that as a Christian? Amen. And you need to give that to others. You really do. Because if you don't, you're robbing them of the experience of Christianity. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. In Ephesians 6, 15, it says the same thing. But Romans 5 verse 1 says that because of Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. Can someone come to the keyboard, please? Peace with God comes through Jesus Christ. One of the reasons why people are so anxious today is they're trying to get over a guilty conscience. Jeff Durbin and James White, our friends and partners in the ministry, have just debated a homosexual pastor on their channel at Apollo Studio, Apologia Studios on YouTube if you want to watch it. And one of the things that they brought out to this young man who smiles, is very polite, and seems to be a likable person is that he is trying to cover over his guilty conscience with this belief system that accepts this lifestyle. And if you've ever been there, you can see it. In other words, I recognize the deception in him because I've seen it in myself. I know what it was like when I tried to cover up my own sin in these different thoughts and beliefs. And notice what the Bible says. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, until you accept Christ, your soul is restless. And there is no rest for the wicked. And that's why, as I just put up on my Facebook post today, dismembering the body does not heal, heal mental illness still to this day. The trans, transgender community is not healed through any stages of their transitions. And now we're seeing an epidemic of those wanting to revert back because they thought it would do one thing, but it didn't. You look at our world and you think they would wake up to the reality of how bad they have it. Almost all of them go to counseling now. Have you noticed that? Counseling is popular now like you go to church. What people used to do going to church, people now go to therapy. But it doesn't fix them. They're on more drugs than they've ever been before. Why not look at that and see that as a sign, as a stop sign that says, stop what you're doing and start doing what God says. On the way here in traffic, I had to stop multiple times for my safety and for others. Why don't they see what they're doing? Because they're blind and we have to pray for them. But brothers and sisters, it happens to us. When we don't trust God, when we don't live for God, we allow the same things that upset them, maybe not transgender, but it could be a temptation for some here, but we allow the same things that take us out of our peace to bring us into turmoil. We allow what the world thinks about us, our friends say about us, we allow our jobs, we allow the ups and downs of the economy, we allow the, the, the friends you know, who reject us, these things, people will leave church over that. We allow our family, our disagreements in marriage or our rebellious child to take us from peace. And we need to fight for it because Jesus gave it to us to never be taken away. Look at Romans 15, 33. He is the God of peace. He brings peace. Why? Because he is the 
God of peace. He is the God of tranquility. He is the God that calms every one of our storms. He also tells us to greet one another with grace and peace. Go to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1. This is why we're supposed to talk to each other with the blessings of God. God bless you. That comes from the Numbers passage, chapter 6. May his face shine upon you. And then we're supposed to speak grace and peace, forgiveness, and tranquility over each other. Why? Because this is the normal life of a Christian. Of verse uh, 3, rather, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be giving it to each other. We're supposed to be serving it up to each other on a platter. We're supposed to be dispensers of grace and peace. We're not supposed to be dispensers of jealousy, anger, hatred, slander, disgruntledness, complaining, and the, and, the, and the like. We are to be dispensers of grace. When you are with me, you are supposed to say, Joe is gracious. When you are with me, you are supposed to say, Joe is peaceful. That's how I want to speak of you. When you come to our ministry, when people come to your house, that's what they should speak of each and every one of you. This house is a house of peace. This place is a place of grace. Amen? Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. Sometimes people think our peace is make-believe and that we're denying the reality of the world, and that's incorrect. No, we just have a peace that transcends our understanding. Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. Or, uh, excuse me, not, not verse 2, verse 7. Thank you. Verse 7. Notice this. And the peace of God, which transcends how much of our understanding? All our understandings will do what? Guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God guards us. I have a friend. I love him so much. And if he comes to second service or watches this one, that's cool, but... He wants me to do this and wants me to do that and hooks me up to do this and that and I have to guard my time and I tell him what my calling is and I hope he doesn't get his feelings hurt because listen to me, nothing is worth my peace. The peace of God guards my heart. Well, Joe, let's go over here and do this. If God hasn't told me to do that, I'm going to stay home and chill. Well, what about everybody else doing it? It doesn't bother me. Well, you won't, be, you won't see revival. That's okay. You see that revival, I'll see this revival because I have to have the peace of God in all that I do. I see too many ministers anxious for revival that they're not at peace spending time with their children. I see too many ministers anxious to build a big church. They say after church projects, most pastors quit. There's a statistic with that. After a big building project, well, there it is. Now the, church, the pastor quits. I do not want anxiety for anything in this ministry, no matter how noble the cause. So if anyone in this ministry feels that being in ministry causes you to lose your peace, you are doing it wrong. Just ask yourself, what would Joe do? If Joe would still be at peace, why are you not at peace? If the pastor of the church is refusing to let something remove him from peace, why would you let it remove you from peace? It is not that important. There are no things that we do here that are greater than peace. Everything here is subservient to peace. Because he's the God of peace. I'm not saying there won't be conflict. I'm not saying there won't be times where we stretch ourselves. But we will do it in peace. I get excited thinking about Lollapalooza going out for two or three days at a time. Because I don't do that all the time. And I know that for that amount of time I can give it my all. But I'm not going to become now under the pressure of I have to do an outreach every single time. This and that and do this, this and that. To where I no longer see my people. To no longer spend time with my family. I'm going to be at peace. I'm going to guard my Christian walk. The most precious thing that I have is the peace of God manifested in a hundred different ways. Don't sacrifice peace for religion. Amen?
And then closing, 2 Thessalonians chapter 6. Chapter 6, I believe, verse 6, hard to read my handwriting here. I think I was writing them down kind of fast. Let's look here. Okay, it's not going to be there. Let's try 16. Keep going down. I think I see a 1 and I see a 6. Go up just a little bit. Go up just a little bit. Oh, there we go. It is 16. There we go. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Now may the Lord of peace himself, and I pray this, this is a prayer. This is a prayer, and I pray this over every person here. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. That's my prayer for you. Father, I thank you for this wonderful service today. I pray for peace in every single person's life. As band and altar workers begin to come, Lord, I pray for peace in every family, over every marriage. I pray for peace in the soul right now, Jesus. If anyone's soul is not at peace, bring them peace right now, Jesus. If you're here today and you're not yet a Christian or you have been one and you've backslid and you don't have that peace, ask the Lord right now to bring you peace, to save you, to change you, to make you new. The rest of us right now who are already Christians, look at your peace meter. Look at your peace tank. Is it on empty, quarter of a tank? What do you got there? Ask God for more if you are lacking it today. Fullness of peace in your marriage. Fullness. The tank of peace should be full in your relationship with your children right now. Remember, he'll give you strength. But even if that strength doesn't change the situation today, you're still at peace. He gives not like the world gives. He gives in such a way that your hearts will not be troubled. A few more moments right now, Lord. Remove trouble out of our hearts before you ever remove it out of the world. Lord, make our hearts at peace so that the world is a secondary impact. It is not where we go to get it. It is a result of having it. A few moments, I pray for peace on the job, even if a boss doesn't like you. Peace in your schedule, even if it's a really tough one right now. Peace right now in your mind, even if you have good reasons to be concerned. I pray for peace, that the peace of God will guard your heart in your mind in these troubling times. A few more moments right now. Peace over your family, peace over your life, peace over your finances, where you don't have to have it right now, every bill paid for you to be at peace, knowing God's in control. As you begin to sense the peace of God, would you stand up with me today?